And now we're pleased to bring you our feature presentation. How's it going, everybody? And welcome back to the Parish Pump Podcast. Councillor Dermot Daisy O'Brien is here with you again. And today I really want to talk about um, us and them. In groups and out groups. And specifically how that is used to foster and nurture hate. And yes, we're in an Irish context here. And I'm really going to try and focus on that for this podcast. um, Because I genuinely see an emerging trend out there where particular groups are using the yeah the ancient tool of us and them as a way of fostering hate in our community. And I really want people, it's something that I think um, perhaps we need to just go back to ensuring that our children understand the techniques and tools of those who would promote hate. Um, so what that's what I want to try and do in this podcast. I want to give us an understanding of how it operates, how we would notice it, and what we would do if we noticed it. Um, and I'm going to try and do that in a way that it, that makes sense. Um, and let's start by accepting and appreciating that as humans, we do have a tendency to group things, and it's useful. You know, if we decide to live as a society, um, we use group labels um, to differentiate who is who and who does what and how do we operate as a community. Um, So that's normal and useful. Um, I'll take an example. If, let's say, if you're a student. So if you're a student that places you in a social category and that then you might be in a college. So that's a a third level student. You could be a primary school student, secondary. So already student as a category has subcategories uh, potentially. But as a student, you might be part of a college and you identify with that college. And that's a social category. Um, outside of the college, you, being a student is also relevant because there may be in your particular society, you may get cheaper public transport if you're a student. So that social category is useful to you. You may get some good deals or benefits when you're shopping if you have a student identification. Um, so there again, that social category has benefits. And then people might presume things about students in terms of that they're um, often not available to do full-time work because they're studying and therefore maybe are available to do part-time work. Um, they they may have specific needs in terms of accommodation. Um, so yeah, student is a social category. Um, and even, as we say, within that there are multiple subcategories and we wouldn't we're, we're not going to go into that now um, and again I'm a teacher I spend a lot of time with students but is there an us and them already if I'm a teacher and they are students no we, we won't go into that yet um, what I, what, but I want that to be a kind of a framework to just just recognise that society does have social categories and that they're useful and it's something that we're programmed to do we could go back to back in the day caveman times and it's important to know who your tribe is and who it isn't because that might be life or death so we we kind of are kind of hardwired on some level to differentiate between uh, groups and categories and to form them as well uh, because that benefits us Uh, and the the framework i'm going to use to try and get this settled in people's mind is within the context of football so i'm a football fan 
that is a social category that I belong to. And there are lots of people in this category with me. And that's a we. That's an us. The us that like football. Huge numbers across the globe. Um, But like, hold on, if we zoom in a little bit on that social category, we might then see some differentiation. So I, in fact, am a League of Ireland fan. So I support and follow the football of the League of Ireland. Now, if you are, are sitting in a cafe with me and we want, we're, we've like football, we're going to talk about football, you might uh, be an English Premier League fan and support a club in England. So now we have new, new group categories, don't we? Um, and there's no we anymore. Uh, well, there's a new us and them. There's the us that support the League of Ireland and the them that support the EPL. Um, and... To be fair, there are people who support both. But again, we see if we if we zoom in a wee bit, there are differences um, and that's normal. Uh, so what I want to do is take the League of Ireland as an example and contrast how groups and social categories may become tribal and how they might evolve when groups interact who are from who who may just see themselves as us and them and how that might be okay fine healthy even exciting and where it might fall into the the category of being driven by something that isn't positive and that isn't healthy and that in fact is more sinister in its ambition about why the us and them um is useful so Let's take the two LOI fans. So I'm a Bray Wanderers fan, Seagull for life. Um, and imagine there's there's me and a friend of mine or someone else who's a Ro- Shamrock Rovers fan. So now we have something to explore. We both are in the same social category that we both like football. But there is an us and them when it comes to who we support. And this is how that flows. So we have a social category Um. And that's, I am part of the Bray Wanderers supporters. That's my social category. And my colleague, friend, stroke, whatever, is in a different social category because he's a Shamrock Rovers fan. So that separates us. Um, And if we get into the depth of how that forms and informs our identity, there's kind of three steps to that. There's the category, then there's the social identification. So what do you do and what's involved in your association with that group so that you're compatible with them and you're part of something. And then the third part is the social comparison piece, which is interesting because that's about how do we, how does our identity and how we see ourselves, how do we feed that by comparing ourselves to others and contrasting ourselves to others? Um, so... Let's let's go into it. So I support the Seagulls. That's my group. That's my association. I adopt the identity of a Seagulls fan because that's what you do if you're a fan. And there are lots of different levels to that. Um, I would have an emotional connection to Bray Wanderers. I want them to win. I'm sad when they lose. I get fired up when there's a big game. If it's a, if it's a, a cup game, a knockout game, and there's even more emotional investment in it. Um, and... I believe what my group believes. So we share beliefs about Bray Wanderers. We are Bray. That's one of the one of our one of our slogans. Um so I identify 
with Bray Wanderer supporters. Um, some of them might be again in the in the world of football. You have hardcore supporters. You have fair weather supporters. You have some bar stoolers in there. Um, but as a collective, we do share um, the title of of Bray Wanderer supporter. So I'm part of the category. I identify with other supporters. And then when it comes to the social comparison piece, I favour my own group. So I look through the lens of being Bray number one as I compare us to others. And I could compare us in terms of our players, our team, its performance. I could compare us in terms of our fans and how we are and who we are and how we operate and how loud we can be and how loyal we are. And we would... It's in our nature to compare ourselves with others and to identify the differences that separate us. And some of that is in, let's actually, here's what we'll do. We'll do a build up to a game to show some examples of how all that stuff plays out in real time. So let's say Bray are playing Rovers and there's a whole build up and us and them becomes in the present it becomes real because we're we're about to play on a friday night so there will be throughout the week you may have social media outlets you might hear it on podcasts on the radio in the newspapers um and around the town there would be promo for the game and and within that there's analysis there's where are we in the league respective to each other what are the predictions and then the rivalry comes out um, and that's building up the anticipation of this game where we both go into the same arena, which is the football pitch, and we do battle uh, metaphorically and, you know, actually when it comes to playing the game to see who wins, who will be victorious. And if we zoom in then to the night of the game, let's say you're maybe we're, let's say Bray are playing at home. If you were to walk around the town or you're around the dart station or around the seafront, um, the social groups will be clearly identifiable. On a Friday night, you could differentiate between the Bray fans and the Rovers fans. They will have different clothing, different gear. You might see some flags, some hats. You may even recognize different accents. If a team is from a different place altogether, you, they, you may spot them um, by their accents. So, that, so again, we have two different social categories, Rovers fan, Bray fan, and they are, they are different and identifiably different and purposefully different. Uh, and that's that because we identify with our team, we want to show that and we show that explicitly, especially on on match night. So let's say we're in the ground and the game's kicking off and yeah, we are we favor our own group. So in the game, we're looking, supporting, we're cheering. Our teams are competing for dominance and we are invested in that. We want our team to win. We want the other team to lose. And it's a high-intensity environment. Um, and within all the behaviours then, within that arena, um, you have singing, you have chanting, you have shouting. Uh, I've been known, you know, once or twice in my life to, to, to shout at maybe officials who are officiating the game. But it's part of the culture of being at a football match. Um they're cheering. They're maybe complaining when a when a decision goes against you. You may be given out when something goes wrong. You could be given out to your own players. You could be given out to other players. Given out to officials. Given out to other fans. There might be slagging. There might be mockery. There may even be abuse, um, and that may all form part of how these two social categories, when they clash, what happens. 
And that's very distinctly us and them and very distinctly different social categories, different but similar ways of identifying with your group and then how we compare each other and what we do to show that in the arena of a game, um, again, is very clear and obvious. So the us and them is very real. But the question is, is that if we are like if we are shouting and screaming at a game and we want to win so bad and we want Rovers to lose and we, we, we may say that we hate them. We hate those fans. We don't want them to win and all the vibes that go with, with, within the stadium um, are all over the place. But the, so the game's over. Um, you go home, you might be sad, you might be happy, you might celebrate, uh, whatever. And then the next day. The next day you might go into work, you might go into college. Um, and do you have to sustain your hatred of Rovers fans the next day? Your dislike of Rovers fans? Does the us and them roll over into your normal next day life? And should it is a big question for me. So should I be sustaining my negative vibes about an other group? So the us and them. If them last night was Shamrock Rovers supporters, do I have to sustain a negativity towards them? And how is that possible? And is it is it legitimate? And should it define me? Um and but the key question, is it sustainable or is it is it a cheat to try to say that in a moment? Because the truth is in our society is that we may be in different social categories when we when we look, when we zoom in on a game between Bray and Rovers. But the absolute truth is, is that there's possibly a multitude of other groups that we share. And then how do we hate someone if they are also the same as us and sharing spaces with us or ideas with us or beliefs with us in, in other categories? That's for me what makes it unsustainable. And and I think people who really want to pursue hate and buy into it, they almost want you to not think about those, not think about the fact that you if you zoom out, you, you both like football, you have that in common. You both like LOI, you have that in common. You both you both might be students. That's another social category you share. Or parents, two people could be that's another social category you share. You both might like Indian food, you might play FIFA online, you might both of you might play ball in your own life, Sunday league, whatever. Um, you both may be environmentalists or you both might actually support the same team in Spain or in Scotland. You might be into the same music or you might not. But there's a very real possibility that you share social categories beyond this one that you don't. And they could be equally, if not more meaningful, depending on what that might be. So, like we need to be open to that and celebrate that and let's be honest like i I, i'm not saying i have to i don't have to like shamrock rovers um i can even enjoy it when they lose but by what logic would i hate shamrock rovers and hate a shamrock rovers fan and live that as part of my identity and try and commit to sustaining that beyond the Friday night, even maybe the afters of a of a of the next morning when you're still might be suffering if you've had a hammering. But to sustain that as part of my identity, that within my lived identity I hate others. In my, I, I'm committed to the groups where I am part of the us and I am opposed to the groups that are them 
and I live that and carry it 24 all my waking hours that's insane and and unsustainable and I, and what I want to do is I want to take that principle of how the us and them evolves and map it onto some of the emerging issues in our society at the moment and I'll give you an example you might see around the city or in my town a group of people waving Irish flags and that might be something that you come across and you think oh yeah Irish flags that's that's fine yeah 100 percent and they may even define themselves as patriots Irish patriots and they might be associating themselves invariably with some some you know some of the dead patriots in Irish history and that again for someone might say yeah grand yeah 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 there's nothing there that's that's you know I'm not getting freaked out nothing there to kind of you know present any concern or worry in my mind um and that like ex- literally should show us and remind us that these groups are very sophisticated in terms of how they operate. So you will not see a group parading around a space saying, we are defined by our hatred of Muslims. Because that's not, that's too caveman. And they are far from caveman in how they operate. They are going to tell you what they love. And they are going to define themselves by like uh, their Irish patriotism. And that's something that they wrap themselves in. And that's something that's a very strong us and a very identifiable us. We are the real Irish. We are going to tap into the energy from across generations. And that's, again, for, for the average person who's not really tuned in or paying attention, that could be something that they buy into comfortably. Um, and what where we need to learn to be able to scrutinize um, is where we see the journey of what happens within a group like that where you are adopting shared beliefs because if that group is so strong on who they are as an in-group who are their out-groups in 2020 who are the out-groups of a group that define themselves as irish ultra irish nationalist maybe catholic i don't know you know that are really strong in in a in an identity that they are positive about who who are who's the them for those type of groups and you have to own that you have to go and look for that because when they are attracting people and seducing them into a space that says you're irish you're a patriot you want to be part of this and then you're wondering and exploring what their shared beliefs are and they're telling you all these things we want things to be the way they were we've heard that across the world uh, lately but you really have to wonder then what behavior if you're identifying with that group what behavior is required of you in order to be part of identifying with that group and how is that fueled by hate so where is if the them is people of a different skin color if the them is people of a different religion if the them is those who are coming from other countries to find a better life in ireland or to pursue a career or study or whatever if the them are are this superficial other then you need to ask a question about how is this group defined by its understanding of human rights? How does this group operate within a framework that supports and appreciates human dignity? Because the other 
doesn't stand up. If I'm if I'm part of a group that proclaims to be Irish patriots and doesn't want people who are of a different skin colour, doesn't want people in Ireland who are of a different religion, and then I'm going to a parents association meeting on a Monday night about how we can improve the school for our children. And those others are at the same meeting and on the same wavelength and pursuing the same agenda for the future of our children. How can I be walking around shouting and screaming in a town with an Irish flag and feel an association with a group that hates them? And I think that's where the learning needs to happen is that we need to be able to scrutinize what shared beliefs are in action and what behavior emerges as those beliefs define the us and the them because when they're fueled by hate you're in very very dangerous territory what i feel is that people sometimes fall into the trap of us and them and maybe you've already got a pre-existing anger and frustration about how ireland is at the moment and what opportunities are available or not for you or how hard your life might be and and I think if if the easiest trap is for someone to present you with someone to blame, and if that someone to blame is someone who at face value is different, is an other, then they're just going to drag you into a comfort zone for not having to identify with these others, um, and the out group. But I think you know in truth. That's like you really have to cheat yourself and really lie to yourself if you think that there are that someone who's in a social category that says Muslim and you're not in that and that makes them worthy of scorn and hate and negativity and less opportunity and less human rights. Um, and, and at the same time, if you were to go through that list of student, parent, what food you like, what games you play, what music you're into. Um, you will find that that people who are here sharing society in this country with us, they are also part of many groups that we are part of. And that's how flourishing happens. That's how a society grows and evolves and becomes a beautiful and more, a better version of itself, essentially. Um, and yeah, if people, you know, and across society, it doesn't matter what social categories you might be in. If you're doing things that are wrong and illegal and causing harm, then you deserve judgment for that. But th- that's that's individual behavior. If an individual is doing something that is illegal and then the law has to be applied to them, then that's... But for us to say that the, the them, if one person is doing something or if one person is associated with something negative and then we're lazily deciding that that one person represents a whole group... And yet, at the same time, we know that they also are part of groups that we're part of. Um, it, it's impossible to to justify that. It's impossible to justify that. So, there, so the word "all" doesn't come before any group, whether it's an ethnic minority, whether you can't say all Bray Wanderers fans are hooligans. That's not true. There may be three, four hooligans and that might be that might create tension within that social category it may be another subcategory and that's something that you have to face as a club if you've got hooligans in your club and so you still get to make decisions about keeping maintaining the good of a social category um but you really have to pay attention to what's behind the scenes and it's really for me the important part is about what 
beliefs are people inviting you to take on board and how do they sit with you in terms of your own values your own principles and the principles of human rights and human dignity and if you're involved in any group whether it's a whatsapp group or a social group um there that's the lens for me um if your group is doing anything saying anything perpetuating any messaging or beliefs that suggest that someone is less that someone does not deserve the same human rights as you do or the same human dignity as you do then you got to check yourself and you got to check whether that's something that again that would you sit down with your children and say today i went on a march and in that march we did nazi salutes we shouted abuse at gardi we decided that we didn't want any muslims in ireland because they are a threat to our future you know if you if you if you can't sit down and justify that to your child and then at the same time promote human rights and human dignity then yeah you you're, you need to check yourself so that's that's it for me in terms of the us and them i really hope you get it and i really hope you kind of think about it and we we need to have these conversations amongst ourselves and especially with our children because they need to watch out for those who offer them opportunities to be part of something when there's a there's a hidden agenda and that's dangerous and listen you may find yourself at a rally where you think you're supporting something like free speech and on the left of you is a racist. On the right of you is someone who's against vaccinations. Behind you are people who would run travellers out of your local community. So be very aware of the platforms that you're willing to share with others. Because they don't care what your individual beliefs are, what your individual values are. They want the numbers. They want the mob. They want to feed you with hate and anger and fear. And ultimately, they want to weaponize all those emotions. And then you are just a tool. So listen, I think, you know, it's on all of us to have the conversations with ourselves when we are. It's easy to just see this stuff and think, that's not me. They're all lunatics. But if we don't have conversations about it, if we don't understand this process of social categorization, social identification, social comparison, and understand how people fall into these traps... If we don't have the conversations with our children who maybe, you know, we may have teenagers growing up now in another time of recession who will be angry, who will be looking around for someone to blame, who will be a prime candidate for these parasites who will be looking and watching and seeing who's vulnerable out there. So it's on us to take a responsibility as a society to see how, how we're going to manage the tough times ahead, but how we're going to ensure that hate does not become a tool for how we react. Thanks for listening, everyone. Talk to you soon. After touch, beats,